Good morning and happy Father's Day. How are we doing? You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You should be amped up because baptisms, if you love Jesus, baptisms are always a chance for us to worship the Lord and get kind of excited. So you guys excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It's fun when we get to do baptisms. It's always easy to get excited when that happens. Easy for me, hard for you. We are in week three of our summer series going through the book of 1 Peter verse by verse. So grab your Bible, head there. 1 Peter is right before 2 Peter. So um, I love being a dad. Today's Father's Day. I love being a dad. I really do. I've got three kids, ages 10, 5, and 3. Um, I love the whole gig. I love being a dad. But um, it's not always easy or fun being a dad, right? Like one of my main jobs being Kennedy, Joshua, and Hannah's dad is that I'm supposed to teach them. Right? I'm supposed to teach them uh, right from wrong. It's not just to teach them like how to survive, like how to dress themselves, how to feed themselves, and how to do math. Like that's not, that's not the sum total of what I'm supposed to teach them. I'm, I'm actually called to teach them right from wrong, to lead them towards right and away from wrong. That's my job. I, I show them love. I encourage them. I spend time with them. I build them up. But, but I also have to do the hard work of, of holding them to a higher standard and doling out consequences and all of, all of that. Um, and I take that, I take that part very seriously. Like I'm, in my home, I'm not just the like, sports and activity coordinator. Like that's not my role. My role in my home is, is disciplinarian, teacher, leader, and I take that, as a dad, I take that very, very seriously. And so I've been known to say things like, that's not, that's not how we act. I've been known to say things like, like, that's not how Mills kids talk, right? Because I take this thing seriously. As a father, it's on me to lead my kids in the right direction, towards right instead of wrong. So I can't just be about hanging out with my kids and having a good time and telling them how awesome they are and teaching them to hunt and hit a baseball and dance and play an instrument. And I can't even do the last two. You don't want to see me dance. Like I've heard it's, a be- it's not a fun to see me dance. So I'm not going to teach them that kind of stuff. But it's not just about those things. I- I'm called to teach them right from wrong, hold them accountable, give them a standard. And, and that's really what's happening in First Peter in our text today. Uh, Peter has spent the first part of this letter, he's called us elect exiles, chosen. He's building us up when you are chosen people of God, set apart by God. I talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Jesse talked about how Peter told us that we have this living hope, right? We, we're set apart for hope. We have this living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you are excited that if you know Jesus, we have a living hope? Isn't that awesome? You guys are way better than first service. They're like, yeah, living hope, all right. So I had to do it two or three times, but they got it. Yeah, we have this living hope. Pastor Jesse talked about that. We are not, we are not a people without hope. We are not a people without something to look forward to and something to anchor our lives in. We have this living hope. And so Peter's been talking about this. We're set apart for hope. But now he's going to switch gears a bit. And like a good father... He's going to talk to us about a standard, a standard of how we're supposed to live. We're we're not only set apart for hope, Peter says we're set apart 
for holiness. We're set apart for holiness. So let's jump into it. We'll climb through it verse by verse today. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. That's right after verse 12. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, so he goes, therefore, because of the living hope we've been talking about, because you are elect exiles, chosen, set apart by God to do something right here, because of that, now therefore, he says, do this. Set your hope. Everybody say, set your hope. Set your hope. You, you can set your hope on a bunch of different things in your life, right? You can, people set their hope on jobs. They set their hope on money. They set their hope on status. You, you may set your hope on, on your spouse or some other person or, or on luck or fate or whatever. The Bible is saying that because of your salvation, because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ, you now need to set your hope in the right place. You have that option now to set your hope in the right place. And specifically, G- Peter says, set your hope in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what, what's he talking about? He's talking about the return of Christ, right? How many of you are excited that Jesus is coming back? Isn't that good? Like, wait, Jesus come back. We don't talk about it a lot in church. We kind of miss it sometimes, especially in modern church. We don't talk about the return of Jesus. But, but he's coming back. He's coming back. And, and he's coming back to take us to heaven and take us to God. And so we look forward to that. This is about a hope in Jesus' return because that's when his grace is going to be fully revealed when he returns. But Peter's going, it's not going to be easy. Like, it doesn't happen automatically. You're going to have to set your hope. You're going to have to be intentional and set your hope there. You need to prepare your mind for action. He's going, you got to wake up. You got to pay attention. It's like you're about to run a race. Like, you got to, before the gun sounds, you got to kind of get ready. You don't want to be like this and the gun goes off. You got you to get ready. It's like you're on defense and the quarterback is, is walking up to the center to start the play. And, and you, you got to get ready. Like, wake up. Don't get caught uh, flat-footed. Don't be caught daydreaming. You got to get in your ready stance, right? You got to get in your ready stance. You got to get your head on a swivel. You got to get ready. He's going be prepared. Get your mind ready for action. Set your hope. And then the apostle Peter is going to bring in this idea of, of holiness or holy living. And basically it flows like this. He goes, set your hope on the return of Christ. That, that's the command. Set your hope on the grace found in the return of Christ. But, but what does that look like? What does it look like for someone to set their hope There on Christ. Peter's answer to that question is holiness. The mark of someone who has set their hope in the right place, according to Peter, is holy living. In other words, if you know Jesus is coming back and you put your hope there, then you'll live like it. 
If you believe Jesus is actually going to return and you put your hope in the grace of God, in the return of Jesus, Peter's going, then you're going to live differently. You're going to live like that is true. You'll strive for holiness. Look at verses 14 and 15 and you'll see what I'm talking about. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We demonstrate our hope in God by living holy lives. If we really believe and we, ident- and we internalize our identity as, as being set apart, this is not our home, our citizenship is somewhere else, and yet we're called here, called to stay. If that's real to us, if that's where our identity is, then we're going to live holy lives. And the opposite is true also. When we run after the pleasures of this world, we're telling everybody, including God, that we put little value in the grace shown at his return when he returns. When we refuse to live holy lives and instead give in to the pleasures of this world and our lives look just like everybody else's life, Christian and non-Christian, then like C.S. Lewis said, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Let me kind of modernize that a little bit. We're like a kid choosing a Disney movie over going to Disney World because we don't get it. We don't get the difference. Was that not modern enough for you? Let me try something else. We're like a person who chooses a Taco Bell burrito (laughs) over authentic homemade carne asada. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to travel more. (laughs) All right? I need to travel more. You need to get some carne asada. All right. In doing so, when we do that, we're telling everyone, including God, that we do not value the hope we have in Christ, the promise of his return. We don't value heaven itself. And I want to draw your attention to something here in this text. Uh, The Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he uses family language here. He goes, as obedient children. And then later, he goes, you're going to call on him as father, children, father. When Peter says, as obedient children, be holy as God your father is holy, he's not being harsh. There's no harsh tone here. He's not going like, you need to obey. He's not like, you better obey or whatever. I'm going to take all your toys away or whatever dads say. He's not, he's not doing that. He, he, he's not saying, just do what God says, be holy. It's not harsh. No, he's reminding you that you're not at some impersonal religious gathering where some impersonal lawgiver is reading the law about some impersonal far-off God. He's reminding you that you're not at a religious meeting. You're at a family meeting. You're at a family meeting. And so you're a child, and it's natural for kids to want to be like their parents, right? Especially sons to fathers. It's, a, it's natural for them to want to be like their dad. Like I have a five-year-old son, Joshua, and he, he did, you know, as unwise as it may seem, he wants to be like me. He wants to be by me. 
He wants to do what I do. He wants to say what I say. He wants to wear what I wear. He wants to be with me all the time. That's the way he is. Walk like me. Talk like me. Do what I do. It's natural. When I get home from work at, at night or in the evening before dinner, when I get home, I come in. He goes, Daddy, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to put my wallet up. He's like, I'm going with you. I'm like, all right, it's going to be a party. Let's do this thing. All right? So he's just right with me all the time. He wants to be next to me. Uh, the other night I, I had a meeting and I didn't get home till later. And usually we didn't have that couple hours of just wrestling and playing and spending time together. And so just uh, before I was about to say his night, night prayer, we call it night, night prayer, um, right after we read Bible stories, we were talking about his day and talking about things. And, and Joshua just said, hey, Dad, Daddy, I didn't get to spend time with you today. What, what are you going to do right now? After you put me to bed. And I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shave my head. Because you don't get a, a really good-looking, shiny head like this naturally. All right? You have to shave it. And so I shave it. I shave my head two times or every other day, basically. And so he's seen me shave my head a bunch of times. He's like, can I come with you? I'm just going to come with you to shave your head. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So come with me. So we go. Mommy's already downstairs. She's done the night-night routine. She's already downstairs. I'm, the, I'm just the straggler. Joshua's hooked me into keeping him up as long as I can. You know how it is. And so I, so I, I go to the bathroom. I shave my, I shave my head. Joshua's sitting on the floor. He's watching me do this. And he goes, Daddy, can, I, can, I want to shave my head. Can you, sh- can you shave my head? I want a shaved head like you. I want to shave my head like Daddy. And, and I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. I want to shave my head like daddy. And I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> so I want to shave my head like daddy's head. And because mommy's head wasn't in there, I grabbed the clippers and I buzzed that kid's head. And then I buzzed it. This was two weeks ago. I buzzed his head and, I, and he loved it. And I, I cleaned up the evidence of the crime. And I put him to bed and I didn't tell Aaron. <laughs> and I was like, it's going to be a surprise in the morning. She loved it. <laughs> she loved it. She loved that surprise. I got a call later. What happened to my son? I'm like, that's what we did when we were kids. She's like, you grew up in the country, all right? No. But Peter's, Peter's going, in, the, in First Peter, he's going, you're his children. God's your father. Just like other children and their dads, you should want to be like God. You should want to be like your father. And he, because he's your father, he's going to delight in you being like him and wanting to be like him. Listen to me, beloved. You don't know, if you don't know God as father, you can't know holiness. If God is not your father, you've got no chance at living a holy life. It's impossible. In other words, you don't have it in your genetic code to pull this off. Your biology has set you up for failure. Your first dad, I don't know who your biological dad is. I don't know who your adoptive dad is. Maybe they're saints. Maybe they're not. But I know this. You have not been set up for success in your first birth. Are you tracking with me? Your first birth set you up for sin and failure. You have to be reborn. And when you're reborn into the family of God, you call God your father, and now you have everything you need to live a holy life. The holy life that Peter and much of the Bible calls us to is just not, impossible, just not possible unless you've been reborn as a part of God's family, unless your identity is firmly established as a child of God, unless he is your father.
Okay, so Peter, he says we're set apart, we're elect exiles, this is not our home, and yet we're called to stay here for a purpose, we've got a mission, and we're supposed to be here, that was week one. Then he reminds us that we have this living hope, we have this living hope because of the resurrection of Christ, we are set apart for hope, that was last week. Now he's saying that we need to set our hope fully on the grace shown in the return of Jesus Christ, the promise of his return, because that's when God's grace will be fully realized. And the mark, the evidence, the proof that we have, in fact, set our hope on Christ returning and his grace in that return is that we live a holy life, that we live a life set apart in that we keep ourselves from sin. And so now in our text, he's going to give us three reasons that kind of hold this up, okay? So they form like three legs of a stool that are supporting this weight of holy living that he's calling us to. So the three-legged stool of holiness. Because maybe you're going, okay, I get that we're supposed to live holy lives. I, I guess I, that's not news to me. I get that we're supposed to live set apart and we're supposed to be holy and we're supposed to be different than the world and we're supposed to keep from sin. But, but give me something to like hold on to when I'm in that moment of temptation when sin is knocking at the door like a reason why. Why am I supposed to be doing this? If that's you, Peter's going to answer that question. He's going to do that. So three reasons for holiness. I'll go through them pretty quickly because of time. The first one is in verses 15 and 16. We read 15 a minute ago, but let's read it again. He says this. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I, God, I am holy. Three reasons for holiness. The first is God's character. Peter is quoting Leviticus 11 here where God is talking to the people of Israel and he's saying, be holy as I am holy. He's saying, I am the one true God and I'm your God and and because you're my chosen people, you should be different than the other nations. He goes, because you're not following, uh, because you're not following Dagon or Baal or Ashtoreth, but you're following Yahweh, you should look different. Your life should look different. He's telling them they're set apart. They're set apart for holiness. They should want to be like him, like God, instead of those other false gods. Like a five-year-old wanting to be like his daddy. So that's reason number one for holiness. God's character. He is holy, so you should want to be holy as well because he's your father. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourself with fear. The second reason for holiness is godly fear. If you're in the family of God, you need to understand that our Father judges impartially. He judges impartially. In other words, being a part of God's family doesn't buy you leeway to go against God's commands. Let me say that again. Being a part of God's family doesn't get you leeway to go against God's commands. He is impartial in his judgments. In fact, I would say the fact that you're in God's family should prove to you that he is impartial in his judgments. I've seen how some of you are. I'm kidding. Kind of. 
Right? Like if you're, if you're honest about your own sin, you got to go, oh, good thing he's impartial about his judgments because he let me in. He let me in to his family. But even after that, he is impartial in his judgments. And so some people think it'll be okay if I do this. God won't mind. He knows my heart. I'm his kid. He's my daddy. It's no big deal. He'll forgive me. It's the exact opposite. He's impartial. Peter goes, he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So conduct yourself with a healthy amount of fear while you live on this earth before you get taken to heaven at Jesus' return. There's, there's a good kind of fear, right? Can we agree on that? There's a good kind of fear. A lot of times we, like, we run away from fear and, so, and like we don't, fear's a liar. There's a song about that. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to give in to fear. We don't live by fear. We don't want any of that. But there's a good kind of fear. The, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so, that fear sometimes is good. Like when you walk up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you feel that, that you know, in your, the pit of your stomach, that feeling that like makes you freak out and step back, that's a good kind of fear, right? It's a good kind of fear. A good kind of fear keeps you from like scaling the outside of the lion's enclosure at the zoo and jumping in. That's a good kind of fear because why? Because you don't want to be eaten by lions. You tracking with me? There's a good kind of fear. This is the good kind of fear. Don't take God's grace and love for granted because he judges impartially. That's reason number two for holiness, godly fear. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. That's that biology, that genetic code I was talking about. You're ransomed from that. You had no shot living like your fathers because you had no shot at holiness because sin was in you, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things were you ransomed, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb with blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, in other words, we saw him in the last times for the sake of you, who, through him, are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Reason number three for holiness is Christ's sacrifice. If God's character isn't reason enough, if his impartial judgment doesn't give you motivation enough to live a holy life, hopefully Christ sacrificed, Christ sacrificed well. And in this talk about being set apart for holiness. Don't forget the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He is eternal. He was there before the foundations of the earth. He'll be there forever. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life for you on the cross, resurrected again so that you might have fellowship with God the Father. That's what happened, okay? That's what happened. In other words, don't forget that your salvation wasn't free. It was costly, and Peter is saying it's valuable. It is valuable. Don't forget that your salvation was not free. Your salvation was costly and therefore it is valuable. Don't throw it away with unholy living. So God's character, God's fear, 
or godly fear, I should say, in Christ's sacrifice. God's character, godly fear, and Christ's sacrifice. I think if Peter were here, he would say, like, do you need, do you need more than that? Do you need more than these three reasons? Even one of them probably would be enough. Do you need more than that to, to spur you on and give you a desire to live a holy life set apart uh, from the world? All right, so, so at this point, after studying through verse 21, I think I can, I think I can put you into three groups, of, three groups based on your reaction to this, okay? So group number one, um, you just don't care, right? You're like, I don't care about First Peter. I don't care about holiness. I, I'm hungry. <laughs> I want to go to lunch. I got stuff going on. Maybe you were brought with somebody. Um, you know, maybe you just stumbled in. You thought this was a restaurant and you're stuck. And I don't know. <laughs> but you, you know, you, you're here for some reason. But you're like, you know, I don't really care about holiness or First Peter. And, the, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. The reason you don't care is because you have yet to experience salvation. You have yet to experience God rescuing you. And so you have yet to experience this desire to want to be like him and to want to be set apart for him and to want to live for him. And this whole living hope thing, you're like, man, my hope is up and down with, with the sea. It's up and down by every wind and wave of life. It's up and down with circumstances. I don't have a hope that is sustained through that. That's because you have yet to give your life to Christ and experience what we're talking about with salvation. And so group number one, you just don't really care about this. Group number two uh, and number three, you, they're full of people who actually have experienced salvation or want to at least. And, and group number two is, is going, man, I, I think I got this. Like, I, think I get it. Like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go. Let's do it. Let's go live a holy life. Like, these three reasons, I'm in. Let's do it. I got this, okay? Group number two is going, I got this. Group number three is going, I don't got this. I need some help. I've been doing this for a little bit. I know the three reasons. I know with my mind what you're talking about, but I cannot hit the standard. I fall and I fall and I fall. It's impossible. And group number three is close to going, it's impossible, so I'm just going to quit. I don't need to even try because I've tried before and I always fail and I can't be holy. I can't be holy. I can't do this. So let me talk to groups two and three real quick because I think... That's what Peter does next. Group two is going, I got this. Group three is going, I don't got this. Both are right. Both are wrong. Look at the second half of verse 21 through verse 25. God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed. That's that biological, genetic, sinful code that you got from your dad. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 
Listen, don't miss it. Peter is calling us to holy living, and he'll do it over and over and over in the book of 1 Peter. He's calling us to a higher standard as a people set apart, as a people with a living hope that, that's transformed us. No question about it. He goes, be holy as God is holy. He talks about our conduct. He talks about our obedience. He talks about God's impartial judgment. He talks about our futile mind, our ignorant and futile minds that were leading us astray before. He talks about all of that. He's calling us to a higher standard for sure. Don't miss that. But don't forget that the context of this whole talk on holiness, this whole thing in 1 Peter, the context of it is that is that command to set your hope on what? The grace. Everybody say the grace, grace. of Christ's return. The grace of Christ returns. So when Jesus comes back and he reveals fully that grace, that's what our hope is supposed to be set on. We can easily hope in our own strength, our own ability to be better, to be holy. Maybe you hope and you go, I got the willpower, I got the discipline, I can just kind of set this up and schedule this out and make it happen. But that's not what this is about. This isn't about you being able to live holy on your own. He goes, your faith and your hope are in God. You've been born again. And the stuff that you're made of now, it's not perishable seed like you had before. It's not that sinful seed that you were born in in the first place. It's imperishable seed from your heavenly Father. And this whole thing, he goes, is possible because you've got the living and abiding word of God in you. And it remains forever, he says. So if you're thinking, I got this. I can go live a holy life. I got this. You're wrong. You don't got this. You can't do this. You can't live holy like Peter is saying. You, you can't hit the standard the Bible is laying out for us for holiness because the standard is God. You can't hit the standard. Be holy, it says, as he is holy. You can't do this. You don't got this. But on the other hand, if you're saying from the beginning, I can't do this, it's impossible, I might as well give up, I can't do that, you're right, as long as you don't stop there. You can't do this, but God can. God can do this through you. God can and will give you the power to live a holy life, the holy life he's called you to live. Because you, did you see how he ended this part? At this, this part in 1 Peter, he ends by going, this is good news. It's good news. What I'm saying is it's good news. Beloved, we shouldn't read this call to living holy lives, this call to live in holiness. We shouldn't receive it as bad news. Lots of the times we do that, right? Like, oh, holy living. I can't do it. It's this weight that crushes us. It's this impossible standard made to depress us. We look at it as a bad thing. This is good news. He has given you this hope. He has given you this grace. He has set you apart for holiness. And he has given you everything you need by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to live how he's called you to live. To live set apart for holiness. To set your hope in the right place. Today's, today's Father's Day. 
Man, I love being a father. I know a lot of guys struggle with it when they first become a dad. They're like, they don't like kids or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but not me. I love holding babies. I love playing with toddlers on the floor. I love wrestling with kids. I love kids hanging all over me. I live for those little arms around me, those little hugs that I get uh, from my kids. Uh, I, I love being a dad. I, I love teaching my kids. I even love conversations about nothing. Like just those long conversations about nothing that I have with my 10-year-old. I love those. I, I love those. I love teaching my kids from how to ride a bike, how to, how to put on a coat, how to tie shoes, how to, how to do all that kind of stuff, to, to how to memorize scripture, how to have a tough conversation with a friend, how to serve at church with the right motives, how to pray. I love being a dad, man, for all those reasons. But the main reason I love being a dad is, is because in being a dad, I've been given a little bit of insight into how God feels about me as his kid. Just, just the way that I feel about my kids, like the first, first second they were born, before they were born, when they were in their mother's womb and God had knit them there and they were very much alive and I was praying for them, that even in that moment, you know, I, I loved my kids for no reason other than they were my kids, right? I just had this love for them. And it didn't matter what they did. Like my, my daughters, my son, when they were born, they didn't like mow the yard. You know, there was no like return on my investment, you know what I mean? Like it's not like, ah, they, they, they really helped me out. Like it wasn't like that. They just, they were like leeches. But in a good way, like cute, cuddly leeches, all right? But I still love them. I loved them in that moment. And as I've gotten to know them, my love has only grown for them. And in that, I've been given this tiny insight into how God feels about me, how he values me, why he disciplines me, why he teaches me. And so one of my main jobs as a father to my three kids is to teach them right from wrong. And a, another way to say that is that my job as their father is to teach them how to live a holy life. It's to teach them how to follow the commands of God, how to be set apart for holiness. And so like I said, my five-year-old son Joshua, he wants to be like me, he wants to be by me, he wants to shave his head like me, wear what I'm wearing, do what I'm doing. He wants me to lay in his bed at night and keep me up as long as, and keep himself up as long as possible, talking about his day and what's going on, and he wants to do all of that. If you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he'll usually say, I'm going to be the lead pastor at Great Oaks Community Church. That's what he thinks. He'll say something like, I'm going to be a preacher like my daddy. And he wants to please me. He wants to make me happy. And as his dad, I, I want his joy. I want what's best for him. I want him to realize the potential God has placed in him. I want him to fulfill the destiny God has put on his life, the calling on his life. And so I try to teach him right from wrong. I try to teach him God's commands because I know they're for his good and they'll lead to his joy. And when I teach Joshua things, man, he is a, my five-year-old Joshua, he's an obedient child, just like Peter is telling us to be, that we ought to be an obedient child. What I mean by that is that, that he wants to obey. He wants to be like me, and he wants to obey. But it's hard. It's hard to obey, right? Can I get an amen on that? 
It's hard. It's hard to do what's right. He'll say he's going to follow the rules and be good. But inevitably, Joshua fails. He doesn't do what's right. He has a bad day. He says what he's not supposed to say. Bite who he, he bites who he's not supposed to bite. He punches some. You know, it just something happens. He just kind of gives in to something, and he makes mistakes. He messes up, and I have to discipline him because I love him. Because because I love him and. After a talk about it, he'll, he'll say he's going to do right and he's never going to do that again and he's going to be good or whatever. But, I'm, but I know he's not. I know he's going to fail. I know inevitably he's going to mess up again. And I think he understands that on some level because in those long chats when he's trying to keep himself up and me up and we're talking about his day, he'll sometimes say, oh, he'll tell me about a time when he messed up. I don't have to tell him, you know, get that out of him. He's just talking through his day and he tells me about a time he messed up. And he, sometimes he'll say something like, Daddy, I I want to be good, but I just can't. I just can't be good. I just keep messing up. I keep being bad. And in those moments, as his dad, what do I do? I don't, I don't beat him up about it. I don't, I don't get on to him in that moment. I don't go, well, you just need to be better. You just, and listen, I also don't say this. I don't say, yes, you can. You can do it. Just believe. Just love yourself more, Joshua. Just believe and it'll be fine. I don't say that either because, listen, that would be a lie. That would be a lie. In those moments, I say, man, I know, buddy, I, I'm the same way. Man, God has given me things to do and I mess up. I mess up all the time. I can't, I can't be perfect. I make mistakes all the time. I say something like, you know what, I, Joshua, I think you're an awesome kid. I think you're an awesome kid. But you're kind of right. Me and you, we can't do this. We can't be perfect. We can't keep from messing up. We can't do this. And I tell him, like, I think that's the way maybe God set this up to work, that, that we're supposed to not be able to do it so that we can go to him for forgiveness, so that we can go to him for help, so that we can put our hope in God and not in what you and me, Joshua, can do. And I get that he doesn't get all of that. He's only five. He doesn't understand it. But I'm just trying to plant some seeds, seeds that may not take root for years, imperishable seeds of God's word. You see, I can't be the father Joshua needs me to be. I don't have the ability to set him up for success. As his biological father, all I really have within myself to give him is sin, imperfection, unholy living, the passions of my former ignorance. Perishable, worthless seed. But I know that if Joshua can find the core of his identity in being a child of God instead of being a child of Jake, if he can realize that he's in the family of God and not in the family of Jake and having God as his father and not Jake as his father, then his hope can be set on the grace of God in Christ. And he can learn to lean into God. And his presence and his power and his strength and his word to live like God wants him to live and fulfill God's calling on his life. I guess what I'm saying is that 
I'm not trying to set them up for failure. Like with the rules and the, and the consequences and the teachings and the long chats at bedtime and all that, I'm not trying to set him up for failure. I love him. I'm trying to lead him to joy. And listen, beloved, in the same way, God is not trying to set us up for failure. When when 1 Peter says we're set apart for holiness, it's not bad news. It's good news. This isn't a, a standard set up by God for you to fail at and become depressed over. But neither is it a standard he has given you to, to accomplish, to hit on your own, by your own strength. You're supposed to lean into him, his strength, his word, his presence, his power. God is not some impersonal force or some far-off God designing mazes for you to run through and fail at so that he can laugh. That's not what's going on. God is not that God. God is your father. He loves you. And he's going, hey, listen, this is the way I set this up. This is the way I set this up to work best. Hey, listen, come with me, son, daughter, beloved. Come with me. Just do what I do. Just wear what I wear. Shave your head like I shave my head. Just come with me. It's natural for you to want to be like your dad. Just come with me and try to be like me. Be holy as I am holy. And I'll help you with that, and I'll delight in that. You, beloved, were set apart for holiness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you for the freedom to gather here and to study it. We pray, as always, God, that whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten, but what was of you would stick with us haunt us. God, like seed would find good soil, take root and bear fruit. God, I pray for the Christ followers in the room or the people who want to be Christ followers who are on the way to be Christ followers. Lord, I I pray for those in, in groups two and three, the people who are going, I got this. I pray, Lord, that they would understand that they don't got this, that we don't got this and we're not supposed to that we would lean into you. And the the people who are saying, it's impossible, I'm going to give up, it's done. Lord, I just pray that we would leave here with like a better understanding of the balance of the truth, that while we don't have this, while we can't live holy lives that you're calling us to live, you are there, your presence is there to lean into, that you've designed this thing so that we would lean into you and trust you and rely on you. So I pray that, that that kind of that middle ground, that balance would be struck. That we would leave here with confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. That this, that this talk on holiness, this study in, in 1 Peter, that it would lead us to greater reliance, to, to run to you, to go, hey, this is a serious thing. We're supposed to live holy lives. We're set apart for holiness. I need Jesus. And we would run to you. I pray against God this, this idea that, that holiness doesn't matter, that the way we live doesn't matter, that we can look like everyone else in the world and, and you'll be pleased. I pray against this lie of the enemy that, that how we live does not matter to you. That we would presume upon your grace and your mercy. 
Lord, I pray that we would read 1 Peter and go, our conduct, our obedience, our lives, the way we live, this, this matters to, to God. And that would cause us to run to you. God, I want to pray for those in group one who, who are here and have not experienced your salvation, your presence, your hope, this desire to want to be like you. God, those people in this room who have not experienced that, I pray for the, the one in here who is feeling drawn as they've watched baptisms and listened to people talk about how you've transformed their lives. And, and we talked about this living hope. And, and as we talk today about being set apart and your power giving us the ability to, to live holy, God, that they're feeling drawn to this. They don't have all the questions answered or the doubts taken care of, but something is happening on the inside of them. I pray that they would recognize that as the, the movement of your Holy Spirit, the unction, the drawing, the wooing of your Holy Spirit to you, Jesus. And I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would experience your love and your presence like never before, that you would in a moment transform them, let them, let them feel that living hope and that desire to be set apart today, God. As we continue in an attitude of prayer and your heads are bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you, I don't want to leave here. I don't want to end today without giving you a moment, a decision moment. If you want to give your life over to Christ, you don't need a pastor or a, or a priest to say something or lay hands on you or you don't need holy water. You just need in your heart, in your mind to honestly say to God, maybe the first authentic, real, genuine prayer you've ever prayed to say, God, I need you. I want to be different. I want to live my life for you. And then just begin to give him your life. Give him your stuff. Confess the junk that's in your heart and ask him to heal you, set you free, transform you. The Bible says that he will be faithful and just to do just that. And so if that's you, don't leave here without praying in your own words to God that you want to give your life to Him and asking Him into your life. Lord, I pray for those that would take that step of faith today. Let them, God, be the next baptisms that we get to celebrate next time. Let it be real. Protect that seed and that decision. It's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Everybody say why don't you stand with me? We've got prayer workers at the side of the room that would love to pray for you about anything. Let's be a people who lean into God in prayer for our needs. They'll pray for you, with you about anything. But if you've given your life to Jesus today, you've made a decision or you want to find out more about that, those prayer workers have a packet, an I've Decided packet, that'll lead you through that, give you some next steps, give you some resources. So stop by after our song or during this song. But here's my prayer for you today. If you've given your life to God and you've become a part of His family, may the core of your identity be found in the fact that you are His child and He is your Father. May you find His character, His impartial judgment, and His sacrifice plenty of reason to live a holy life. And may you set your hope fully on the grace of God and the promised return of His Son, Jesus Christ. As always, my encouragement to you is that you would talk this over with a life group. If you're not in a life group, you have yet to get plugged in at Great Oaks, stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in before you leave. And my challenge to you is that you would not let this stop with you. 
be a Jesus follower who goes from here and makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless. We'll see you next week. Stay with us.